A young student thought that she had exhausted mathematics when she had learned the multiplication table up to 12 times 12. Her grandfather then said with a twinkle in his eye, what's 13 times 13? And she turned on him with undisguised scorn and said, don't be silly, Grandpa, there's no such thing. Just after Jesus had revealed a healthy way to deal with conflict among a group of fellow believers, earlier in Matthew 18, Peter comes forward to show how forgiving he could be when dealing with conflict. To forgive a person for the same injury two times, three, four times was generous. And to his credit, Peter expanded the generosity when he said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus' response teaches us that you can't put forgiveness into a times table. Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Or other translations will say, 70 times seven times. The number is really not important. It's the sense of what something that cannot be counted. Some of you who know the old toy, the toy Story movies will know Buzz Lightyear's phrase, to infinity and beyond. And I think that's the sense that Jesus is offering us here. How many times shall I forgive my brother, my sister, a member of the church, to infinity and beyond. Now, along the way, for all of us, someone has hurt us, someone has offended us, someone has betrayed us. Now, this is not a story about staying in a situation where abuse continues, though some have misread it as such. This is about using the strength and forgiveness that comes from God to forgive the people who have hurt us, to provide grace and mercy. Now, to illustrate how serious this is, Jesus makes up a story using another number that is like infinity. A slave owes his master 10,000 talents. Well, that means absolutely nothing here in the United States. We count in dollars, but or we can also count in years. You take an average day laborer's wage, whatever that would be, we'll say $100, and then you multiply that times 100,000, 150,000 years. 150,000 years. That is 10,000 talents. It might as well be infinity. It's not a number that is attainable to a slave. But this is what he owes. Okay, says the king, if you can't pay it all, then you and your wife and your children and your possessions will be sold. And then you're free to start over. The king is not getting the absurd amount that he's owed, but he's getting something. Maybe you've had a yard sale along the way. I made the mistake of doing this last week. You don't get what objects are worth at a yard sale. But you get a little bit of money, 
And the other part, and maybe the more important part, is you gain a sense of release from all of the clutter. So the king is getting something, he's not getting everything. The slave doesn't seem to appreciate the king's offer, and so he falls on his knees before him and he says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Well, they both know that that's impossible. But, out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave the debt. The whole debt. Lifetimes worth of debt. Every IOU was released like thousands of helium balloons. Now, any among us have been on both sides of this story. We have been the king who is owed a debt that a person cannot pay. And we have been the slave with no way to get out of debt. Kevin Miller cited the story of a 16-year-old girl who had been driving at night with some friends. Accidentally, she backed into a light pole. The light pole fell onto the car and killed one of her friends. And the next morning in the hospital, physically, she was doing okay, but emotionally, she was, of course, distraught about the death of her friend. And she said to the chaplain, I'm going to be like a daughter to her parents. I'm going to go over to their house every day and babysit for them. I'll wash dishes for them every night. I'll go over there every week and mow their lawn. She gradually had to realize that no matter what she did, she could never replace their daughter. She could never do enough to make up for her mistake. All she could do was to ask forgiveness and hope that the parents would find it in their hearts to forgive her. What do we do about forgiveness on the 10th anniversary of 9-11? Some of you lost good friends that day. All of us felt violated, hurt, angry, confused, ashamed, or all of these. The events of that one day redirected our lives, redirected our country, redirected the world. And perhaps, like others, you have wondered over the years, what would have happened if we had responded to those attacks with forgiveness and love instead of shock and awe? Would we have put ourselves in greater danger? Obviously, the people in power thought so. All we do know is that hundreds of thousands of people have died in the wake of that day, and every life represents a debt that cannot be repaid. We need not argue about whether going to war was the right choice. The connection Jesus might have us make today is to ask the question from now on, because what we've learned, what would happen if we were to forgive someone who loves us deeply? Who, sorry, what would happen if we were to forgive someone who has hurt us deeply? In our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships, we have been hurt. Or if we haven't, we will be. Debts are incurred that cannot be repaid. What would happen if we were to forgive someone their debt? What would happen if we were to ask forgiveness of someone we had hurt deeply? 
These questions lead us to the theological issue of grace. In Jesus' story, the slave didn't ask to be forgiven the whole debt. He asked for time to repay it. Again, even though they both knew that was impossible. The The master, though, responded with such grace, amazing grace and mercy, that he forgave him the entire debt. Some of your small groups have read Philip Yancey. He'll be speaking at St. John's Episcopal Church next month, in case you're interested in hearing from him. But in a group of people, I mentioned his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And one of the men testified to me afterwards. He said, that book changed my life. I went through a terrible divorce 20 years ago. And five years ago, after reading that book, I went over to Salem and said to my ex-wife, I forgive you. A weight lifted. Now we're buddies, he said, but at the time she said, I don't forgive you. When we have been offended or hurt, forgiveness is the last chapter of the book. And often it takes working our way through a lot of other chapters to get to that one. Corey Ten Boom, who was held in a concentration camp during World War II, told of not being able to forgive a wrong that had been done to her. She said that she had forgiven the person, but she kept rehashing the event in her mind and she couldn't sleep. And she cried out to God for help in putting the problem to rest. And she wrote that God's help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor to whom she confessed her failure after two sleepless weeks. And the pastor said, Up in the church tower is a bell, which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps swinging, first ding, then dong, slower and slower until there's a final dong and it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness, he said. When we forgive, we take our hands off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And so Corey Ten Boom wrote, it proved to be so. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversations, but the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often and at the last, stopped altogether. She concludes, We can trust God not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. Grace, mercy, and forgiveness are all a part of Christian leadership. Jesus wants us to grasp that we are debt-free, and therefore we need not squeeze smaller debts out of others. 
A four-year-old was taking part in the Lord's Prayer at her church and prayed, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. People put trash in our baskets when they don't do something they told us they would, when they act disrespectfully to us, when they say things behind our back that they should say directly to us. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet we all have been forgiven an absurd debt by this same God of mercy and grace. Every offense offers us an opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ as we respond with God's love and mercy. And we'll close with two brief stories. Perhaps one either will fit a current situation or will come to mind later when you face one in the future. In a book on Robert E. Lee, Charles Braceland Flood reports that after the Civil War, General Lee visited a home, a woman in Kentucky, who took him to the remains of a grand old tree in the front of her house. She bitterly cried to him about how the federal artillery fire had destroyed its limbs and its trunk. And she looked, looked to General Lee for a word condemning the North or at least sympathizing with her loss. And after a brief silence, Lee said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. As we could relate where we were where we, when we heard about the September 11th attacks, those of us who are old enough will remember where we were in 1982 when President Reagan was shot. Reagan's daughter reflected on the ordeal in her book, Angels Don't Die. She wrote, I give endless prayers of thanks to whatever angels circled my father because a devastator bullet which miraculously had not exploded was found a quarter inch from his heart. The following day, my father said he knew his physical healing was directly dependent on his ability to forgive John Hinckley. By showing me, she wrote, that forgiveness is the key to everything, including physical health and healing, he gave me an example of Christ-like thinking. As part of our Christ-following lifestyle, we are called, commanded, to practice forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Let that challenge be before you who have accepted leadership roles. Accept each other for who you are. Work around weaknesses and encourage strengths. For when we band and work together in healthy ways, we become one powerful and meaningful body of Christ.